Tappers, what's up? It is the Wednesday edition of the Daily Tap. We have a great show today. We're going to talk about the Milwaukee Brewers being done. The year is over. We will go through all of it. We'll go through the game. We'll talk about championships being hard. We'll talk about Council, Yelich, what's next, everything else. We'll get our first look at the Chicago Bears as it is Bears week for the Green Bay Packers. This Bears team, 3-2, and two, sneaky. Why some things are similar to the Cincinnati game and some things are different to that one. But there are there are more similarities, I think, than differences. Kyrie Irving drama, Ben Simmons drama, what it all means for the Milwaukee Bucks, if anything, will wrap up today's show. Excited for this one. Let's start with the Milwaukee Brewers. Obviously, I'm not excited about the Brewers losing in the postseason. The Brewers have now lost four straight postseason series. Um, They have not won a series since 2018 against the Colorado Rockies, where they swept that baseball team. Then they lost in seven to the Dodgers, then lost in a one-game playoff, then lost in a weird three-game playoff. That really even didn't count. I, I kind of blocked that 2020 year from my memory. The Brewers have yet another division championship, but they have nothing to show for it. People will be mad about that, I understand. And we'll talk about championships and all that stuff here in a little bit. The game itself was a frustrating one, to say the least. The Milwaukee Brewers finally got some runs. They got two runs, then Atlanta would get two runs. The Brewers would get a big home run from Rowdy Telez again, and then Atlanta would get two runs themselves. Luke Mauley comes in the game for Manny Pena, and when Luke Mauley comes in, doesn't really know Josh Hader, doesn't really know a lot of the pitchers on the Brewers staff. Mauley asks for a slider outside, and it gets crushed by Freddie Freeman, and there is your ball game. And the Brewers can't do anything in the ninth inning after getting a leadoff hit from Eduardo Escobar. Uh, Colton Wong can't take the bat off his shoulder. Uh, or no, Colton Wong, I'm sorry. He bunted. Willie Adamas strikes out. Bad strike two call on that one. He should have walked. And then Christian Yelich just looks at three pitches and completely froze. And I am starting to worry Yelich has the yips. But again, we'll get to Yelich in a little bit here. It was a very frustrating game in a weird way. It was kind of what I wanted. Like, that's going to sound perverted. You're going to be like, Charlie, you wanted the Brewers to lose? No, I didn't want the Brewers to lose. I just wanted that playoff baseball feel. Like, these games, game one was like that, which I was at. And game one had that feel, even though it was two to one. It felt like every pitch was big. Like, it felt like every moment was big. When it was 3-0 against Atlanta in both Game 2 and Game 3, it just felt like you were getting your ass kicked. Like It felt like it was an impossible task to even score a run. And it felt like you were down 10-0. It didn't feel like you were down 3-0. It felt like just pure domination from Atlanta's pitching. So today, as I watched Boston you know, clinch yesterday, I was like, can we just have like a fucking real game where it's back and forth, it's really dramatic, there's a big moment at the end, and it happened. Now, the Braves, unfortunately, had that moment, not the Milwaukee Brewers. But that, to me, is really something that I wanted. So I'm, gl- I'm glad I guess I got that. I just wish the Brewers would have been on the other end of it. And there are going to be a lot of things that people will nitpick Craig Council for. I think the Luis Urias decision was a good one. He trusted his defense maybe more than Eduardo Escobar. And that proved to be the right move. I can't tell you how many runs Luis Urias saved at third base. 
And even if Escobar's pop would have been all right, because I had said maybe put him at first base, Ryan Tellez hit a two-run homer today. So Eduardo Escobar weirdly became the odd man out. I doubt Eduardo Escobar will be coming back to the Brewers. I think his time is probably done here as the Brewers will likely stay with Urias as their third baseman. It's crazy that a guy who's 5'5 is going to be a third baseman, but here we are. Major League Baseball is totally different. So Urias, third base, I think you can lock that in for next year. There was also the decision to go with Hunter Strickland. And that to me was odd because you had Eric Lauer, who could have faced Orlando Arcia, versus Hunter Strickland against Eddie Rosario. Rosario comes through with the two out, the two two run hit, and there you go. And then you had the decision to go with Aaron Ashby over Brandon Woodruff. I will push back on that one. I think there are going to be a lot of people that are like, why didn't Woodruff pitch before Ashby? I think what you have to understand here, I don't think Craig Council wanted to use his Brandon Woodruff card. Craig Council had that Brandon Woodruff card in the deck, but he did not want to bring that out. And then realizes and says, oh, fuck, I have to get Woody here. Because Ashby can't carry us, and I don't really trust the rest of my bullpen. That, to me, is what happened. It was not like, well, why would you put Brandon Woodruff in and carry the Tide? No, that that was directly against what I think Craig Council was trying to do. And none of the moves worked. Woodruff, I guess, was the only one that worked a little bit. But then Josh Hader in the eighth um, to try to basically, quote-unquote, close it. As they were facing multiple lefties, I have no idea who would have pitched the ninth if the Brewers were leading. No clue. I don't know if it would have been another another hater appearance. I don't know if it would have been Brad Boxberger, who they didn't use. Um, I have no clue. I have no clue who would have got that ball in that situation. Um, and I don't know if they asked counsel if they did. I didn't see it. It just was one of those series, though. Going back to like none of the things from yesterday's game worked. It, that was the entire series. Nothing fucking worked. Everything was a struggle. All the hard contact was going into Atlanta gloves. And all the soft contact from Atlanta was falling aimlessly on the grass. Whether in the infield or outside the infield. And that's baseball in a nutshell right you can think you are so good and yet you get humbled in this type of scenario where you caught no no breaks at all and you need breaks i mean look at that red sox team right that red sox team looked kind of dead two weeks ago we'll talk about momentum in a little bit here but like they came through with just a massive run against the tampa bay rays Tampa Rays got up 5-1 to one in Game 2. It looks like Tampa is like on their way to sweeping. And then they score 13. They finish the game out 13-1. to one. And then it was on from there. And you can say controversy, non-controversy, whatever you want about Game 3. But then in Game 4, the Rays come all the way back and they can't finish the deal. And Kevin Cash should have probably walked Travis Shaw. And that... That to me is right where you see these managerial decisions where it's like, I know that I would have probably preferred to see Brandon Woodruff instead of Aaron Ashby. But I also know there's probably a plan. And they were trying to get Woodruff to bridge the gap and he did just that. And he got it for Josh Hader. And Josh Hader, unfortunately, allowed a home run. And now we are done with Brewers baseball till April. 
and that's that. But yeah, Atlanta knocks out them. Atlanta will go to the divisional series to play either the Dodgers or the championship series, play the Dodgers, the Giants. Um, I believe we're going to go to a game five with that. And that should be incredible. With Atlanta and San Francisco or Atlanta and LA, I really don't have a dog in the fight there. Braves-Dodgers repeated last year. I'm sure the Braves and Giants have faced each other in the playoffs before. Um, I think Braves-Giants would just add a, a more fun element to it, get the Dodgers out of there, get some new blood going. But it's Houston-Boston on the other side, which is no new blood, and shout out to Fox, who celebrates that, because that will be a storyline-filled championship series. Other Brewer stuff that I wanted to cover the what ifs are always going to be there. You know, what if the Brewers came through with a huge hit in game two and they go up 2 0? Do are we even we even having this conversation today? Or we were were we celebrating yesterday? What if Freddie Peralta doesn't get taken out? What if the Brewers actually had a guy like Christian Ellis that was at an MVP level, not at this journeyman level, this fourth outfielder level? Those are all fair what-ifs right now. What I will say about hindsight is you can't get too hung up in it. Because if you get hung up in it, it's just going to wear you down. You're just going to be angry about every little thing. And people love to nitpick the manager and they love to look at this and say, well, why didn't we play Rowdy Telez in game number two? Well, they're playing a fucking lefty. I think they know the matchups better than we do. All right? Was the Luke Molly decision weird in game two and in game four? Did Luke Molly cost us two games? Potentially. It, it's poten- that's To me, that is maybe the biggest potential argument and criticism for Council is like, why the fuck didn't Omar Nervais get the ball at any point in game two? And then when you swap catchers, hold your fucking water and don't need a double switch. I think Council overthought himself, and I do think that's true. So, like, I get the what-ifs, and I get the criticism of Council a little bit. I just think he outsmarted himself, and he didn't. He needed to keep it simple, and he didn't do that. But this in no way is to blame Council or to say it's all Council's fault that the Brewers aren't advancing. That is not what we're trying to do here, um, because... I do think there are a lot of people who are second-guessing him today, and fine, whatever. But I think we second-guess managers in any sport, or managers, coaches, doesn't matter. Like, if the team loses, like Matt LaFleur obviously got a ton of heat after the Packers lost their championship series for not going for it on fourth down late in the game. Um, you have, you'll have you have guys like Kevin Cash even caught some heat. Why didn't you walk Travis Shaw and load the bases after the Rays and Red Sox game? Well, like game five between the Dodgers and Giants, I guarantee you, whichever team loses, if it's a close game, Dave Roberts or Gabe Kapler will get heat from the other side, from the, the media. I mean, that's just part of baseball, unfortunately. And part of sports culture at this point is we always love to point the finger at the manager, at the coach versus the team sometimes. And I, Craig Council didn't not score a run for what 17 innings or something like that like that was not craig council's fault craig council had nothing to do with the brewers going scoreless for two straight games craig you could say well maybe it was his lineup sure you could wonder that but at the same time like you gotta you gotta deliver a hit and avi garcia 
Willie Adamas, Christian Alich, all of them were not necessarily, Colt Wong were not the players that they were this regular season, which absolutely sucks. And again, that's sometimes part of postseasons, no matter the sport. Did the Brewers look past Atlanta? Mitch was all over this. Um, I won't do too much on this because I'm sure Mitch will do the victory lap tomorrow on tapping the keg. But I think we all kind of thought Atlanta was a second-rate team because they played in the NL East. The NL East was not a great great division all year. Um, and we were all looking ahead to either the Giants or the Dodgers when really we should have been scared of the Braves and should have really seen what the Braves were doing down the stretch. They were not necessarily even, they were hot to end the year, but they were just hot in general in the second half with all the adjustments they made. Their GM did such a good job with this roster, adding guys like Jorge Soler, Adam Duvall. There's another guy on top of my, I can't think of it. Oh, Eddie Rosario. Um, but I mean, they they just basically reshaped their team in the at the trade deadline and good on them and they've really figured out the right group of guys and they're they're ready for a postseason like they can make a run here and i don't know maybe the nl central was worse than the nl east i saw chris castellani of barstool sports wrote how the al central has a playoff problem and basically outlined how none of the teams in the al central have done anything since the indians went to the World Series and should have probably won the World Series over the Chicago Cubs. Since then, it's been an absolute dumpster fire. And it's basically because these AL Central teams, whomever gets the postseason gets fat against all of the doldrum teams in that division. And so if you think about the Brewers, they got fat on the Pirates and Cubs. Like the Brewers, 15 of their wins are against the Chicago Cubs last year. I, I don't know how many they beat against. They beat up on the Pirates, but they did beat up on the Pirates. The Cincinnati Reds fell off and started to falter. They were not the competitors that they expected they were. And then against the Cardinals down the stretch, the emotion really wasn't there. I mean, Jeff Frank Gore, who I thought was just okay. Um, Don Arcello, real quick, like Don Arcello is a guy that the Boston fans fucking love. I, I don't get it. I think the guy sounds like Anchorman. Like he sounds like he feels like he's way more important than he actually is. I, I don't know. That's just an aside. But Frank Court did mention like the emotions just aren't there. And you do wonder if the Brewers peak too soon. I think that is a fair conversation. I think the regular season had absolutely nothing to do with this. The Brewers could have ended the year on a 10-0 hot streak and then lost in four games to Atlanta. I hope everybody realizes this. I hope everybody realizes the Brewers could have came in as the hottest team in baseball and they could have fallen flat on their face. I pointed this out with the Red Sox last week when they won the wild card game against the Yankees. Look at the last couple weeks for the Red Sox of the regular season. I don't know what their record was, but they limped into the playoffs. They were not running at full speed. They got swept by the Yankees two weeks prior to the regular season ending. They were not a hot team by any shape of the word. The Houston Astros, kind of similar thing. The Houston Astros let the Seattle Mariners linger and think that they might be able to clinch the AL West. And then the Astros finally got it done and, and won, this, won the division. So again, the Astros weren't really playing that well. The White Sox also too. But I again, I'm not going to be critical of the White Sox. I, I think what Castanelli's point about the AL Central being kind of garbage and being a reason why 
maybe the White Sox struggle here, I think you could apply that to the Brewers. And so you do wonder if in the collective bargaining agreement, baseball wants to spread this out and they rethink the divisions. I think they love Dodgers and Giants in the NLDS, but guess what? I think if you were to talk to Rob Manfred, he would have rather had Dodgers-Giants in the NLCS. And so, But division, winning, division titles should matter. The Braves and Brewers should not have to face the Dodgers and Giants, and the Dodgers didn't win their division, so they should face the best team available. It should not be something where the Giants play the Braves and the Brewers play the Dodgers. And maybe the Brewers do get home field. I don't know. I don't know what baseball will do, but obviously... The AL East and the NL West were superior this year to every other division inside the American and National League. Is there a way to fix that? I don't know. But it's something to definitely chew on. Lastly, before we ride out and we talk Packers and a little Kyrie Ben Simmons, Christian Yelich. He looked at, he had a moment, he had a runner on, he could have easily advanced the game. Even if Christian Yelich gets a hit and then Avi Garcia strikes out, let's just say hypothetically, I think still there's not the conversation about Christian Yelich. Now, Mitch and I back in early August talked about our fears with Christian Yelich, about where we are with him. Now, right after that, Christian Yelich got hot and everyone's like, Christian Yelich is back. And I definitely felt that way too. My dad thinks he's hurt. The more I think about it, the more I analyze things, I think he's scared to get hurt, maybe. Like I, maybe he's not hurt, but I think he's scared that if he unleashes the trailer and if he goes full bore with his swings, that he's going to fuck up his back. And that it's all mental in his head. And so that he's trying to prevent himself from getting hurt. Now, what we've heard before, and, and this is more just typical nomenclature, is like, if you try to get hurt, if you're or if you're trying to avoid to get hurt, sometimes you end up getting hurt in the process. I, I Yelich obviously didn't get hurt, but you know that's definitely something to think about. And I think the Brewers just need to figure out with Yelich, like where are we at right now? Like where are you? What what can you do? What can't you do? Where do we need to put you in this order so you don't feel pressure? Would you rather hit first, second or would you rather lead off? What what can we try? How can we get you back to what you need to be? And I do think Andy Haynes at least needs to be examined. Now, I think Andy Haynes was probably unfairly treated by me and a lot of other people last season. And I think Andy Haynes deserves a ton of credit for what he did with Avisel Garcia, what he did with Omar Nervaez. What he did for even Luis Urias is another guy who he he had definitely an impact there. But the fact is, is like we need somebody for Christian Yelich. And whatever Andy Haynes and Christian Yelich are doing is not working. And so if they talk to Yelich and, and Yelich is like, look, I'm taking Andy's advice and, and it's not helping. Then I don't know. I think you have to explore other options. And I, I'm not even saying make him the scapegoat. I'm just saying like, you need to get Christian Yelich back to an, to an all-star. Fucking MVP. Like, you just need him to be an all-star again. That's all we're asking for here, is Christian Yelich to be an all-star. If Christian Yelich is an all-star again, the Brewers are a different team this postseason and even this regular season. Who knows? Maybe they they challenge the Giants and Dodgers for their, their wins. But this is an entirely different team. 
And I don't think you should trade Yelich. I don't think that contract can be tradable. Although I will say if the, the Yankees, who knows? You know, maybe they make a panic move. You know, maybe the Padres, right, who are desperate to sort of make this splash. Maybe the Padres look at it. California kid, whatever. Bring him back. I don't think Petco is actually a friendly park for left-handers. But who knows? I doubt the Brewers make a move like that. Because he still is the cornerstone of the franchise. And it's so weird how him and Ryan Braun basically have had this scenario where they started out like a supernova and then absolutely fell apart. I, I shouldn't say Braun fell apart, but Braun, Braun's body started breaking down. And it feels like we're in the same scenario with Yelich. I'm not going to necessarily hold out hope. I just hope Yelich starts hot. And you think about this Brewers team and you're like, there's a lot that you have to think about for next year. And you have to think about, I forgot we're going to do a little what's next before going to the Bears and the Simmons Kyrie stuff. You have to look at it and say, all right, you have Yelich. You have, you won't have Avi Garcia. You have another year of Lorenzo Cain. I would think if you could get off Lorenzo Cain in some way, maybe you do. Because Tyrone Taylor is that dude. Um, Tyrone Taylor, to me, is a starter. I think it's bizarre that Tyrone Taylor didn't play pretty much a lick of baseball in this one. I, I was stunned at how little Tyrone Taylor played. I think that was a miss. I think he's a guy who could potentially be a starter next year. Um, but yeah, I, I think you have one more year, Kane. It's $17 million. You're not, I think, going to get off of that at all. Like, I, I have no idea how how you get off of Lorenzo Cain because I, I think $17 million is probably too much. That was a fear. Jackie Bradley Jr., I would imagine, will take the player option at, at 9-5. It's not a club option, so I think Jackie Bradley will take that. I do not think, um, obviously, El Garcia will take that. I don't think Eduardo Escobar will be back, especially after what happened in the postseason. I would imagine Manny Pena comes back. I think Brad Boxberger and Strickland maybe will both get paid. But if some one of those guys can get back on a decent contract, go for it. Brad Anderson, I don't think, is back. Because I think you're going to look at Aaron Ashby as a starter. Maybe even Ethan Small, who did not come up this year. I think really the finger injury that he had, I think, impacted that. But I think Ethan Small is going to get a chance. I think Ashby is going to get a chance. I think you have Lauer and Hauser. Like, I think you're kind of set from a pitching staff perspective. So I don't think you need Brad Anderson. And hopefully this sharpens the pitching staff a little bit. The guys like Hauser and Lauer are kind of now seasoned. Now they're postseason experience. And the Brewers and the Cardinals will, will go neck and neck again for this next season. Some people will say the Cardinals are the favorite. They have a very young team. They have a team that looks good. They need to reshape their pitching staff. If they get a guy like Max Scherzer, yeah, the Cardinals are a favorite, 100%. But right now, I look at the Brewers pitching staff. I look at what's still on this roster. I think the Brewers are still a favorite in the NL Central. The question is, what will the rest of the National League look like? You never know that. But it was a great season. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Mitch and I will obviously talk about this tomorrow, too, with Tapping the Kagger tonight and for tomorrow's show. So look forward to that, and let's talk a little Bears-Packers, and then let's talk Kyrie and Ben Simmons. The Packers get ready to take on the Chicago Bears this weekend. It is the second divisional game for the Green Bay Packers. 
this season. Uh, they beat the Detroit Lions earlier in the year. Chicago Bears are kind of lurking right now. I, Our friend Fant, who is a Bears fan, who I've mentioned on the show, former roommate of mine, I talked to him last weekend. I was with him having drinks. And I said to him, I said, look, this is setting up perfectly. You guys are going to beat the Raiders on Sunday. Everybody's going to get all excited about the Bears. Everybody's going to get all excited about Justin Fields. And then you're going to get beat by double digits by the Packers. And he kind of just smiled. And it almost was like he knew. Because Aaron Rodgers has been fan-fucking-tastic against the Bears for his career. He has owned the Chicago Bears. It is something that I think Aaron Rodgers takes great pride in. I think he loves beating up on his rivals, and he he really respects the rivalry. That's very old manny. That's very, like, hot. I wouldn't even say hot-takey. It's very, like, just antiquated bullshit. But it's, it's serious. Like, Aaron Rodgers does respect the rivalry. He, he expect He... Loves this rivalry. He gets up for it. I don't think it's going to be similar in Cincinnati in terms of the sleepwalk. I think the Packers will get up. I think the piss is going to be red hot. I think the Packers are going to be ready to play in this one. And I think they they want to send a statement to the, the Bears and the rest of the NFC North that they are the Kings and until further notice. Now, the Chicago Bears defense is good. Like, they are not a defense to be fucked around with. They are holding teams to very limited points. Their DVOA right now is fifth overall. They they have been really hard to pass against. Now, you can look at it and say, well, they have not faced anyone besides Matt Stafford. Very true. I do think that does that's an underrated part of maybe the Bears defense isn't as good as we say there. You can run on them a little bit. Their DVOA is 11th. But Josh Jacobs had a nice day against them last week. I think you should really look at the ground and pound and use Rodgers as more of a secondary option. I think people hate that. But the Packers, when they run, they win the football game. There are stats to prove it. They are like 25-1 and with LaFleur when they run a certain amount of times. Keep running the fucking football. And use AJ Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon as basically this one-two fucking punch. And I, I really think... That's something the Packers can do moving forward. And I, I think that's something they need to do against Chicago. And not necessarily even ball control, but just, you know, not trying to do too much. And I think sometimes against Cincinnati, they were trying to do too much. I think it was a little bit conservative. I hope with another good defense the Packers are facing. Cincinnati's defense is better than I thought it was. I'll admit that. I thought it's a little overrated because of the schedule and whatever. No, they're a good defense. And I think Matt LaFleur got a little bit thrown off. So hopefully he's seen the Bears personnel. Now, this is a new defensive coordinator. I forget his name. His first name's Sean. And it's, the last name's like D or Desan or DeRazi, something like that. So I apologize to Sean for not having his full name. But it, it is a little different from the coordinator, but they know the guys. They know Khalil Mack. They know Roquan Smith. They know... Uh, Akeem Hicks in the middle. Akeem Hicks did not play last week. Eddie Goldman has been disappointing to Bears fans. Um, so we'll see if the Bears show up here. And the offensive line will be tested. We'll see if we'll get Elton Jenkins. Whether he was seemed close last week, it'd be really good to have Elton Jenkins this week. And then the question is, do you put Elton Jenkins at left guard or do you put him back to left tackle? Josh Neiman has done an awesome job at the left tackle position. Do you continue to roll that out and let Neiman go up against Robert Quinn or Khalil Mack? 
I think you do. I think you t- let the young guy do it. I, I trust Billy Turner. I thought Billy Turner did a great job against the Pittsburgh pass rush and the San Francisco pass rush. And I, and hopefully you get Josh Myers back. You just don't want to be down three linemen. I, I think if you're down three linemen, that's going to be really tough against Chicago. But I will say, as sort of a bright side against this pass rush, the Packers have seen some really good pass rushes this year already. They saw it with San Francisco. They saw it with Pittsburgh. I could argue Cincinnati has a decent pass rush. I mean, they signed Trey Hendrickson for all that money. They did okay. I don't think it was as good as the other two. But again, you had less guys in there that are regular starters. New Orleans, uneven again. But another good pass rush. So it's not like they haven't faced a good pass rush this year. I remember that Denver game years ago, right? This was... 2015, I think. And the Packers had been 6-0, a lot of hype. It was Peyton Manning, it was Aaron Rodgers. It was Sunday Night Football. I think the Denver Denver team was 6-0 or 5-1 themselves. And the Packers got absolutely mollywhopped. And part of the reason was, it was like they had never seen a fucking pass rush before. And that's what Denver did to them all day long. I don't think that's what's going to happen with this Packer team against Chicago. And the other on the other side of it, you can pressure the Bears. Like you can get to Justin Fields. Cleveland had 7 sacks against Fields. Cleveland was in field, I don't know, I think it was 8. Cleveland was in Fields kitchen. And what the Packers did to Joe Burrow, they can do to Justin Fields. They just have to have a contain. But I think this is where Devondre Campbell can be huge. We have seen so many times the Packers get bungled by athletic quarterbacks who are just running all over them since the days of Kaepernick. And part of the reason was we had a slow inside linebacker. That changes. That is a huge element to this thing. Devondre Campbell is a huge X factor for this because I think he makes Justin Fields' life a lot difficult. So I would not be surprised if A, this is a slobber knocker, B, if the Packer defense ends up being the story again and more and more people respect them. Secondary continues to be a problem. They brought in Quentin Dunbar. He's now signed on the practice squad. I think that was a good add by the Packers. They keep adding veterans. I've heard the Brian Gunacoust haters, of which there are many, like he keeps adding dudes. Like he's not like, he's not saying, all right, we're going to start this rookie, this rookie. Like, no, we are getting fucking veterans in here to try to win now. Because we know next year could be it. Like, we know next year might not be our thing. So, Quinton Dunbar there. Hopefully, Kevin King's shoulder's all right. It seemed like they said he was playing with one arm for half the game. So, first of all, credit to Kevin King for gutting it out. Like, good for him. But it doesn't sound like Kevin King's going to play this week. And they would have to elevate Dunbar off on the practice squad. Would Dunbar be ready to start? I don't know if he'd be ready to start week, week the first week he's in there. I think week two, maybe. He did play with Joe Barry, so he does know Joe Barry's system. So maybe that does help him a little bit. But yeah, it's definitely going to be a trial by fire, maybe with the Packers secondary. And again, thank God we're playing Justin Fields. Just have to get fucking healthy in the secondary by, by Kyler Murray. Like that's the time where you need everybody to be at as full strength as possible because you have Kyler, you have Patrick Mahomes, and then you have the incredible Geno Smith. Just kidding. It's, it's a joke. But seriously. 
All right, we'll talk more Packers Bears uh, on Tabby the Keg today, tomorrow. And let's finish up the show with little Kyrie Ben Simmons chatter. So I'm not talking about vaccines or Ben Simmons just randomly showing up. I'm more talking about how this affects the Bucks. Because if you remember, I can't remember I did this with Mitch or I just did this at the Daily Tap segment, that the Bucks have the least amount of drama heading into the season of any team. The Bucks have won a championship and they have not necessarily that championship glow to them in the way of like the national media. Like no one's really sucking the Bucks deck. They just aren't. I think they have a personal championship glow. I think they love the fact that they are the champions and they're playing with a swagger, a confidence that I don't think we've seen. And the Bucks just look the part. All the pressure is off. They are playing very loose basketball. And the more I, I think about it, the more I think the Bucks are going to win somewhere in the range of 60 to 65 games. I just think you're going to see a different Bucks team in the best way possible. And so now you look at their competition, Brooklyn, Philadelphia. I, I think those are the two top competitors. And they're both complete clusterfucks. The Bucks need to take advantage early on in this season. I think that is what this means. The Kyrie stuff means the Bucks need to get hot early. If they lose to the Nets week game one, whatever, doesn't fucking matter. But if you they start nine and two, ten and ten and three, get sort of hot, so then the Nets, once they're once they figured it all out, can actually can actually sort of make it happen, right? Can actually sort of be like, all right, well, we have a little bit of a cushion as the Nets are in this malaise. Same goes with the Sixers, right? Who knows what they're going to do? Ben Simmons just shows up. Easily the biggest head case in the NBA right now. To me, like Ben Simmons is this version of Chris Webber. I said that on Tab and the Keg last week. I, I think it's coming more true by the day because I, I think Chris Webber was a little bit of an unpredictable personality. And this is exactly what Ben Simmons is. And I don't know what Ben Simmons' next move is. I don't know if they're trying to work out a contract. I don't know if Brooklyn said, let's see Ben Simmons in the building. Like there was a rumor that Ben Simmons and Kyrie was on the table. Now, if the Philly, if Philadelphia gets Kyrie, do I think Philly's right there with the Bucks? No, because Kyrie's a fucking head case. I, I said Ben Simmons is a big side case. These are two huge head cases. These are two just massive disasters. And I can't trust Kyrie to play a full season. And there's rumors that if Kyrie does in fact play, or if he gets traded, excuse me, that he's going to retire. That was out there. That if Kyrie would gets traded, he's going to just fucking retire. And he's not going to play. So that's the, that's the kind of the cautiousness of this. Would Kyrie go play in Philadelphia? Would he go play with Joel Embiid? I think it would work. I think it would be a really good combination. I think he, who, if it's normal ass Kyrie from 2016, they would work perfectly together. I saw something great on Twitter. I can't figure out who it was to give credit to, which I apologize. But someone compared Kyrie to Odell Beckham Jr. and was like, Kyrie had one big moment in 2016. Odell had one big catch. And everybody thought these guys were superstars and they just have never lived up to that moment again. Could it not be more true? One of the best takes I've seen in a long time. 
But yeah, the Bucks just have to start hot. Like the Bucks cannot like start slow. And even if they do start slow, I'm not gonna freak out. I'm not gonna panic. But I just feel like there is a window of opportunity with all that's going on with Kyrie and Ben Simmons. That's all I'm saying. All right, that does it for today's show. Like I said, we'll be back tapping the keg. Sorry this got up late. Um, I faded down the stretch last night. So did a little bit last night, a little bit today. If you're like, why is your inflection a little different? That's why. Um, and it, if you can figure out where, I will uh, give you a price. Maybe. No, probably not. But you can tell me. At least tweet me out, tap the keg on Twitter, tap the keg sports on Instagram and TikTok um, and on Facebook. We also uh, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Um, hey, this is a great Wisconsin podcast. I think you'd like it. Who knows? Brew fan in your life, Pack fan in your life, Bucks fan in your life. We're, we're there. So yeah, tap in the keg tomorrow, Mitch and I. Then we will do the betting preview on Friday and we'll ride out of here. All right, guys, take care of yourself. Have a great Wednesday. Halfway through the week already. Let's go. All right, see you. Bye.